everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Pillow Talk with Mark and B. You want me to try one? Let's do it. Welcome to Pillow Talk, the couple couples podcast <laughs> where C.S. Lewis writes the script. I'm your host, Marquino, and joining me, we got Bad B. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. We're here for another episode of Screw Tape Letters. Yeah, I've been enjoying this more than I thought I would. Me too, actually. Um, um, today we're doing chapter 16, 17, and 18, and for anybody who's interested, this is available on, like, Google. You could just kind of search it up, so screw tape letters c.s lewis yeah i'm sure if he found out you're reading and distributing it for free he would be okay with it in his grave oh he's he's dead i would imagine he's an old dude he would be an old dude he was like he fought in like world war ii and stuff did he did he fight or did he write um no i'm pretty sure he fought like i'm pretty sure him and tolkien fought not like together but i'm pretty sure they both fought in the war Interesting. i i i I could be very wrong about that. I guess wasn't it like required back in the day? Yeah, like you get drafted or like just like the the mentality is different. Like they just they just carpet bombed all of London. Like you're just yeah. gonna sit there? No, you're gonna go do something. Yeah. That's Anyways, funny. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> We've been doing history things. Um, cool. Okay, well I guess let's just dive into it. Um, my dear Wormwood, you mentioned casually in your last letter that the patient has continued to attend one church and one only since he was converted and that he is not wholly pleased with it. May I ask what you are about? Why have I no report on the causes of his fidelity to the parish church? Do you realize that unless it's due to indifference, it is a very bad thing? Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Oh man, <laughs> you know I know That's these hilarious. people. Yeah. I'm going to say I know a man. <laughs> I know a man who just can continue to get, like, I wouldn't say kicked out of churches, but he would want, like, leadership positions and then get mad that he didn't get it and then switch churches. And yeah. And then get mad yeah. that he didn't get it and switch churches yeah. and switch churches. And... Or, or you get some churches where it's like, oh, they're not preaching what I like, but yeah. they're preaching the gospel. Yeah, so, like, you might not like to hear it. You but... might not like to hear it. Who but, knew that uh, they were a connoisseur of churches? Yeah. Just quick little side note since we've derailed. He did fight in World War II. Oh, you Googled it. Yeah, I did. Wow, so fast. Yeah. There you go. He Perfect. put on a uniform again, was issued a rifle, and he did regular patrols around Oxford periphery. He was no mere talker of ideas. He understood realities of warfare. And all at the age of 41. Yeah. Hmm. Fancy. I mean, that sucks. But I think, I think, mm -hmm. I work with people who are in the army, and genuinely farmers and army people are the best people. Like, there's reality there, there's death there, there's life there, there's... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's real. Mm -hmm. It's grim. Yeah. yeah. Gritty. He fought in World War One, not two. I think I said two is the other final. Which uh, means he would have been really old when he wrote this book. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> the reasons are obvious. In the first place, the parochial organization should be should always be attacked because being a unity of place and not of likings, it brings people to different classes and psychology together in the kind of unity the enemy desires. The congregational principle on the other hand, makes each church into a kind of club, and finally, if all goes well, into a coterie or faction. In the second place, the search for a suitable church make, may make the man a critic where the enemy wants him to be a pupil. What he wants 
of the layman in church is an attitude which may be indeed be critical in the sense of rejection, rejecting what is false or unhelpful, but which is wholly uncritical in the sense that it does not appraise. It does not waste time in thinking about what it rejects, but lays itself open in uncommenting, humble receptivity to any nourishment that is going. You see how groveling, how unspiritual, how irredeemably vulgar he is? The attitude, especially during sermons, creates the condition most hostile to our whole policy, in which platitudes can become really audible to the human soul. There is hardly any sermon or any book which may not be dangerous to us if it is received in this temper. So pray, bestir yourself, and send this fuel this fool the round of the neighboring churches as soon as possible. Your record up to date has not given much satisfaction. <clears throat> the two churches nearest him, I have looked up in the office. <laughs> Both have certain claims. At first of these is at first of these the vicar is a man who has been so long engaged in watering down the faith to make it easier for supposedly incredulous and hard-headed congregation that it is now he who shocks his parishers with his unbelief, not vice versa. He has undermined many a soul's Christianity. The, his conduct of the services is also admirable. In order to spare the laity all, all difficulties, he has deserted both the lecture, lectionary and the appointed psalms, and now, without noticing it, revolves endlessly around the little treadmill of his 15 favorite psalms and 20 favorite lessons. <laughs> we are thus safe from the danger that any truth not already familiar to him and to his flock should ever reach him through scripture. But perhaps your patient is not quite silly enough for this church, or not yet. In the other church, we have Friar Spike. The humans are often puzzled to understand the rage of his opinions, why he is one day almost a communist and the next not far from some kind of theoretic fascism, one day a scholar and the next prepared to deny human re reason altogether, one day immersed in politics and the day after declaring that all the states of this world are equally under judgment. We, of course, see the connecting link, which is hatred. The man cannot bring himself to preach anything which is not calculated to shock, grieve, puzzle, or humiliate his parents and their friends. A sermon which such people could accept would be to him as inspired as a poem which they could scan. There is also a promising streak of dishonesty in him. We are teaching him to say, the teaching of the church is, when he really means, I'm almost sure I read recently in Maritain or some, someone of that sort. But I must warn you that he has one fatal defect. He really does believe, and this may yet mar all. But there is one good point which both these churches have in common. They are both party churches. I think I warned you before that if your patient can't be kept out of the church, he ought to at least be violently attached to some party within it. I don't mean on really doctrinal issues about those, more the more lukewarm he is the better and it isn't the doctrines on which we can chiefly depend for producing malice the real fun is working up hatred between those who say mass and those who say holy communion when neither party could possibly state the difference between say hooker's document doc, doctrine and thomas aquinas aquinas in any form which would hold water for five minutes and all purely indifferent things, candles and clothes and whatnot, 
are all admirable ground for our activities. We have not quite removed from men's mind what the pestilent fellow Paul used to teach about food and other unessentials. Namely, that the human without scruffs should always give into the human with Oh, that the human without scruples should always give in to the human with scruples. I think that word scruples. Scruples. What is a scruple? <sighs> Man, how would you define that? Let's maybe Google it. Uh, I'd say it's like credentials almost. Hmm. Like the... Scruples. Let's see. A feeling of doubt oh. or hesitation with regard to the morality or propriety propriety of a course of action i had no scruples about eavesdropping hmm. okay um that the human without scruples should always give into the human with scruples you would think that they could not fail to see the application you would expect to find the low churchman genuflecting and crossing himself lest the weak conscience of his high brother should be moved to irreverence and the high one refraining from these exercises lest he should betray his low brother into adult idol or adultery that's a weird whatever adultery let's go with adultery and so it would have been but for our ceaseless labor without the variety of usage within the church of england might have become a positive hotbed of charity and humility your affectionate uncle Screwtape. Hmm. very interesting it's interesting that they mentioned the clubs yeah 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 like it's i feel weird about this one because i always talk so much shit about like not the church but like people that go to church and like this is what i'm talking about where it's like i don't know you're involved in every single thing and You've got the name for yourself. You show up to all the prayer meetings. You're involved in leadership, blah, 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 blah. But you're still like an absolute shit person to be around. Sure. And it's like, well, no, but I go to church. And well, no, I go to this. And I go yeah. to this. And so these people are like, according to this book, these people are so caught up in which club they're in and which church they're in and which hmm. title they have that it really doesn't matter that they're even going to church at that point. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not really about like that It's not about the relationship with life. God. Yeah. It's about the... Yeah, I always thought this man like you, you, I, you read the Bible and you read this, the the verses where Jesus goes into the temple and they're all throwing parties and stuff and selling stuff and he he freaks out and flips tables and grabs a whip and lashes people and gets them out of the temple. I don't think he lashed people. I'm pretty sure he got a whip and like was hitting people with a whip. We're gonna have to look like, that like, story up. I do yeah, know yeah, that yeah. he definitely got angry because I was I was talking to my uncle one time and he was like, "Where in the Bible does it say you're not allowed to get mad?" And I was like, "But it doesn't." And he was like, "Jesus got mad." Yeah, like, yeah. He did flip tables though. Yeah, and they always talk about like God's righteous anger, like mm. don't do anything to cause God's righteous anger to fall upon you. But I always think of him like going to the church or into the temple and they're doing all this stuff. And then I think about the churches in today age and they have their cute little coffee shops and they're selling all their baked goods. They and sell they, the books. Yeah, and they have all these little things. It's like, what are you people up to? If Jesus walked into this, if the Jesus you actually believe in walked in, he would not be impressed with what you're doing with his holy place. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it kind of just goes down to, like, if you actually believe. Yeah. yeah, if you actually believed in the God that you were proclaiming, if you actually believed in all of these Bible studies that you go to, like, you would not act the way you did if you actually believed that there is some all-powerful entity watching your every move and that he's going to fucking damn you to hell if you mess up. 
Oh my God, he like, did. The Bible doesn't yeah. actually say that he was angry, but a pretty good assumption given that he fashioned some cords into a whip and started lashing the vendors and flipping over their tables. It happened twice. Once at the beginning of his ministry and on the Monday of his last week. Yeah, so, you know, just be aware of, like, maybe that's the thing. When you're, like, trying to find, like, a church to go to, like, be aware of that. Like, I just kind of would picture them, like, picture Muslims in a mosque. I've never been in one. I think it's very different, though. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're doing the same kind of yeah. irreverencies <laughs> and stuff, you know? I mean, I'm pretty sure, was it Paul? He was Paul after he was Saul, right? Yeah. So this guy named Saul or whatever, he was, like, against God. He was throwing people in jail he, for being religious, all that kind of stuff. Then he was blind, blinded or whatever, and then he found God and then changed his name to Paul and then started preaching. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it was him who had started the church in living rooms type. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew somebody. I actually lived with a pastor who started a church in his house because he. And then when it got too big, then it kind of branched out into other people's houses. Yeah. Because that was the point. Like, yeah, we're not here for a show. We're here for God. So yeah. we're gonna sit around in a circle, <laughs> sing kumbaya, yeah. and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I yeah, I don't think the God they believe in would be too impressed with any of the church stuff that they do. I really don't. And even just like. And it's interesting too because I like wonder the flashing lights and like mm -hmm. it looks like a concert, man. Yeah, I've been to church services that are like a goddamn concert. concert. Yeah, it's interesting too because the point of a church is to appeal to the people. If you want to appeal to the people these days, you gotta have flashing lights. You gotta have yeah. like, and then you have to have your drum set and your electric guitar and yeah, all that the best kind of singers stuff. And, and sometimes the best singers get you into the perfect worships. Like in that yeah. regard, I kind of understand it, but like. The smoke thing and the purple light. Yeah, and like, yeah. There's some stuff like that that's a little odd. It's weird. It's just weird. You Whatever. Know. Okay, okay. My turn. My dear Mr. Wormwood, the contemptuous way in which you spoke of gluttony as it means of catching souls in your last letter only shows your ignorance. One of the great achievements of the last 100 years has been to deaden the human consciousness on the subject so that by now you will hardly find a sermon preached or a conscious troubled about it in the whole length and breadth of Europe. This has largely been affected by concentrating all our efforts on gluttony of delicacy, not gluttony of excess. Your patient's mother, as I learned from the dossier, and you might have learned from Globus, 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 is a good example. She would be astonished one day, I hope, will be, to learn that her whole life is enslaved to this kind of sensuality, which is quite concealed from her by the fact that the quantities involved are small. But what do quantities matter, provided we can use a human belly and a palate to produce querulous in impatience, uncharitableness, and self-concern? Glubos has this old woman well in hand. She is a positive terror to a hostess and servants. She is always turning from what has been offered her to say with a demure little smile, a sigh and a smile, oh, please, please, all I want is a cup of tea, weak but not too weak, the teeniest, weeniest bit of really crisp toast. You see, because what she really wants is smaller and less costly than what has been set before her. She never recognizes as gluttony her determination to get what she wants, however troublesome it may be to others. At the very moment of indulging her appetite, she believes that she is practicing temperance. In a crowded restaurant, she gives a little scream at the plate which some overworked waitress has set before her and says, Oh, that's far too much. Take it away and bring me about a quarter of it. 
If challenged, she would say she was doing this to avoid waste. In reality, she does this. Uh, she does it because the particular shade of delicacy to which we have enslaved her is offended by the sight of more food than she happens to want. <clears throat> the real value of the quiet, unobtrusive work of Glubos has been doing for years on this old woman can be gauged by all the ways in which her belly now dominates her whole life. The woman is in what may be called all I want state of mind. All she wants is a cup of tea properly made or an egg properly boiled or a slice of bread properly toasted. But she never finds any servant or any friend who can do these simple things properly because her properly conceals an insatiable demand for the exact and almost impossible palate pleasures which she imagines and remembers from the past. A past described by her as the days when you could get good servants. <laughs> but known to us as the days when she, her senses were more easily pleased and she had pleasures of other kinds which made her less dependent on those of the table. Meanwhile, the daily disappointment produces a daily ill temper. Cooks give notice and friendships are cooled. If the enemy ever introduces into her mind a faint suspicion that she is too interested in food, Glubos counters it, it by suggesting to her that she doesn't mind what she eats herself, but does like to have things nice for her boy. In fact, of course, her greed has been one of the chief sources of domestic discomfort for many years. Now your patient at, is his mother's son. While working your hardest quite rightly on other fronts, you must not neglect a little quiet infiltration in respect of gluttony. Being a male, he is not so likely to be caught in the all-I-want camouflage. Males are best turned into gluttons with the help of their vanity. They ought to be made to think themselves very knowing about food, to, uh, to piquet themselves on having found the only restaurant in town where steaks are properly cooked. Fucking foodies, eh? I know. I've always thought this. Yeah. Like, what are you doing spending $18 on this? this you know, we were watching a video today, and it was this huge steak. Yeah. And he was like, and Mark was like, oh, my God, rich people. I was like, no, 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 because rich people have, like, like yeah, it's not the delicacy of excess, or it's not the sin of excess, it's the sin, sin of, of delicacy. the gluttony of the gluttony. delicacy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. So you spend $80 on something and you have to get more food on the <laughs> Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. Now your patience is... Uh, oh, being a male, he is not so likely to be caught up by the all-I-want camouflage. Males are best turned into gluttons with the help of their vanity. They ought to be made to think of themselves very knowing about food, to piquet themselves on having found the only restaurant in town where the steaks are properly cooked. What begins as vanity can then be to gradually turned into habit. But however you approach it, the great thing is to bring him into a state in which denial of one indulgence. It matters not. Champagne or tea? Soul cabaret? <laughs> Sol Cabalet or cigarettes puts him out, for then his charity, justice, and obedience are at your mercy. Mere excess in food is much less valuable than delicacy. Its chief use is the kind of artillery preparation for attacks on chastity. On that, as every other subject, keep your man in a condition of false spirituality. Never let him notice the medical aspect. Keep him wondering what pride or lack of faith has delivered him into the hands of one a simple inquiry into what he has been eating or drinking in the last 24 hours would show him whence your ammunition comes from and thus enable him by a very little absence to imperial to imperil your lines of commu yeah to imperil your lines of communication. If he must think
think of the medical side of chastity, feed him the grand lie which we have made the English humans believe. The physical ex exercise in excess and consequent, cons consequent fatigue are especially favorable to this virtue. However, they can believe this. In face of notorious lustfulness of sailors and soldiers may well be asked, but we use the schoolmasters put the story about. Men who are really interested in chastity and excuse for games and therefore recommended games as an aid to chastity. 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 Yeah. But this whole business is too large to deal with in the tail end of the letter. Your affectionate uncle Screwtape. That last little bit, I don't quite get how it tied in. Like all of a sudden we're talking about chastity, chastity all of a sudden. Sex. Right? Like that's what I thought. Maybe we should is just. Belt is not having sex. Yeah, that that that's kind of like my first thought as well. I love this this one. This is a very fun one. I feel like. Oh yeah. I guess it just means purity. Um. Oh, I guess it is sexual conduct. Okay. Yeah. Of a person that is deemed praiseworthy or virtuous. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, I really like this one. I feel like. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Have you ever gone to a church where there's like a 300 pound pastor? Yeah. And they're like, don't lie, don't steal, but a potluck every single night. Or like, <laughs> yeah. It's like the seven deadly sins. Yeah. Who gluttony. That's, it's, it's so <laughs> interesting, too, that they say that, um, what's that one part here? talking about like exercise and like let them think that it's like no don't have exercise because it'll make you tired and blah 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 yeah exercise is good for yeah you. makes you more energetic after more it energetic. makes things work yeah no this one is just yeah never I... let him notice the medical aspect because yeah. yes that is not beautiful <laughs> well no it's beautiful but it's not healthy like the only fat that's beautiful is titties oh yeah that, they are fat mm, delightful yeah, no, like the whole like if you see a fat Christian and he's been a Christian for ten years and you're like, what are you doing? Like, and you're judging me over my sexual improprieties? Yeah. Or your body is a temple. Yeah, it it just is one of those things. Now, both me and you, we've gone on weight loss journeys. I've lost ninety pounds. Like, it's not fucking tough. Yeah. Like, it really is not. Like, did you know you don't actually need to eat three meals a day? Yeah. Wow. Like, crazy. Scientifically, you don't actually yeah. need to eat. Yeah, no, that was just capitalism that kind of just set that in place so they could kind of get more money off you. Consumerism. Wow. Yeah, no, you don't need to. I just think about modern or ancient times and stuff. They would have like a little bit of bread, maybe a little porridge, you know, maybe they'd have a chicken or something for dinner, mm -hmm. but it wasn't much. And yeah, they were probably way healthier than where y'all were. We, they weren't all dying of cancer. Well, I mean, like even the Poorer, poorer people around us and like the people who just like don't they're very healthy yeah and strong kayukos every yeah. day for two hours a day they yeah. eat what they need they've got fish they've got like it's not yeah. processed food it's yeah. natural straight from their garden kind of thing like it's so funny and the foodies thing like i've gone to <laughs> restaurants with people who are like i'll have one of this one of that one of this one of this one of this without this it's also interesting when they talked about the mom being difficult yeah yeah it's just like it doesn't matter what the hostess does; it'll never be okay. Yeah, and I'll never compare it to the first egg you ever ate yeah. that was properly done. You With know, a proper servant from yeah. back in the day. I, I've never complained about food. I'll pretty much oh eat about anything you put in front of me as long as it's food. not like fucking snails or just one of those foods where you're like, come on, there's a thousand other things we could be eating than this shit. 
I remember this one time that I went to Wendy's and my dad was like, hey, I want a burger or whatever, but I want to watch you build it. I want, and back in the day, Wendy's would have it all laid out in front of you. Yeah. And he'd be like, I want tomato. No, not that tomato. No, no, that one's too green. No, it needs to be a crispy. Don't put the tomato in front of the lettuce. Don't put it on. Like, so you're, so, so I figured out who the patient is. It's your dad. Oh, it's the dad. Your, your dad specifically. A lot of these apply to him. He's yeah. probably one of the, like the stereotypical worst Christians out there. You know. Yeah, yeah. I can see it in all kind of different. Like you can, you can name all the seven deadly sins or whatever, and I'm sure he falls for all. I know that dude watches porn every night. I haven't seen him in ten years, and the very first thing he said to me, "How's your porn <laughs> habit going?" So like, weird. like he, th that's clearly on his mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. This is a very. Yeah, I'm telling you, C.S. Lewis wrote this about your dad. <laughs> he knew it the whole time. Yeah. This is for me. This was just yeah. messages for me. Um, but yeah, no, the the principle of this is like, yeah, man, how many people are just literally killing themselves with food while declaring themselves to be Christian? Or just like, yeah, like just, I mean, it talks about excess and delicacy and stuff like that. But like, it's wild. Your brother had said something. Never think about your next meal oh. before you're eating. Yeah, no, he says, uh, if you're thinking about your next meal, you're not going to enjoy the meal you're eating right now. Mm, yeah, because I've literally hung out with people where you're eating a food and they're talking about the next meal. Like, what are you like? We're cooking breakfast. Why are you talking about supper? Yeah. And I get like for planning and like taking meat out or whatever, but like, whoa, relax. Because relax. yeah, again, you don't need to eat three meals a day. You yeah. really, really don't. And when you do eat your first meal, it activates your stomach. So then you're hungry all day. So like. If yeah, you're it's not like actually hungry at nine o'clock. Don't eat. Don't force <laughs> yourself to eat because you need a good breakfast. Because that's what just that's the school system lying to you. Yeah, that's the government lying to you. Lies. Yeah, it's like the what for drunk people. It's like the the piss seal, the food seal. Once you break that piss seal, then you're pissing mm. all night loud. Once you put that first bite of food in your mouth, then you're eating all day long. Yeah. We're like me and you. We'll wait till like five or six, and we might not eat. And, and then we eat go hard all <laughs> night. night. Once you open that up, we're like four meals <laughs> deep over. all of a sudden. Not really, but. But snacky, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Even in that last chapter we wrote, they talked about um, how that one pastor would pick 15 verses and then forget a bunch of other verses and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I've never heard a pastor talk about gluttony. No, man. But that's, well, that's because they're all fat. They're all fat, they're yeah. All fat. <laughs> Every pastor I've seen is always fat. So funny. So funny. They, I've never seen a, well, not never, but. In person, I've never seen, like, a pastor who goes to the gym and is fucking jacked. There's one guy, I don't know, I wouldn't say he's jacked. I know he wore really, 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 really tight pants. Yeah. I'll show you a picture of him. Right? Okay. He was one of my pastors. He was, like, really cool. Tattoos, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, like, it just, you can't preach on everything. And then, oh, mom, I'm going to leave that one out because it's, you know, not really convenient. Like, I really like my food. So. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Yeah. Okay, chapter 18, 16, 17, 18. My dear Wormwood, even under Slubgob, <laughs> I love these oh names. <laughs> um, even after Slub, even under Slubgob, you must have learned at college the routine of technique of sexual temptations. And since for us spirits, this whole subject is one of considerable tedium, though necessary as a part of training, I will pass it over. But on the larger issue involved, I think you have a good deal to learn. The enemy's demand on humans takes the form of dilemma, either complete abstinence or unmitigated monogamy. Ever since our father's first great victory, we have rendered the former 
very difficult to them. The latter, for the last few centuries, we have been closing up as a way of escape. We have done this through the poets, the novelist, by persuading the humans that a curious and a short-lived experience, which they call being in love, is the only respectable ground for marriage. That marriage can and ought to render this excitement permanent, and that marriage, and that a marriage which does not so, does not do so, is no longer binding. This idea is our parody of an idea that came from the enemy. The whole philosophy of hell rests on recognition of the axiom that one thing is not another thing, and especially that oneself is not another self. My good is my good, and your good is yours. What one gains, another loses. Even an inanimate object is what is by excluding all other objects from the space it occupies. If it expands, it does so by thrusting other objects aside or by absorbing them. A self does the same. With beasts, the absorption takes the form of eating. For us, it means the sucking of will and freedom out of the weaker self into a stronger to-be means to be in competition. Now, the enemy's philosophy is nothing more nor less than one continued attempt to evade this very obvious truth. He aims at contradiction. The, oh, things are to be many and yet somehow also one. The good of oneself is to be good of another. This impossibility he calls love. And the same monotonous panacea can be detected under all he does and even all he is, or claims to be. Thus, he is not content, even himself, to be sheer arithmetical, arithmetic, arithmetical, arithmetical, arithmetic-ish. Arithmetical. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, unity. He claims us to be three as well as one, in order that this nonsense about love may find a foothold in his own nature. And at the other end of the scale, he introduces into matter that obscene invention, the orgasm. Oh, the organism. <laughs> My goodness. He introduces into matter that obscene intention, the organism, in which the parts are perverted from their natural destiny of competition and made to cooperate. His real motive for fixing on sex as a method of reproduce, reproduction among humans is only too apparent from the use he has made of it. Sex might have been, from our point of view, quite innocent. It might have been merely one more mode in which a stronger self preyed upon the weaker, as it is. Indeed, among the spiders where the bride concludes her nuptials by eating her groom. But in the humans, the enemy is gratuitously associated affection between the parties with sexual desire. He has also made the offspring dependent on the parents and gives the parents an impulse to support it, thus producing the family, which is like the organism, only worse, for the members are more distinct, yet also united in a more conscious and responsible way. The whole thing, in fact, turns out to be simply one more device for dragging in love. Now comes the joke. The enemy described a married couple as one flesh. He did not say a happily married couple, ooh, or a couple who married because they were in love, but you can make the humans ignore that. You can also make them forget the main call Paul did not confine to married couples. Mere copulation for him makes one flesh. You can thus get the humans to accept as rhetorical eulogies of being in love. What were in fact plain descriptions of the real significance of sexual intercourse. 
The truth is that wherever a man lies with a woman, there, whether they like it or not, a transcendental relation is set up between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. From the true statement that his transcendental relation was intended to produce and, if obediently entered into, will, or too often will produce affection and the family. Humans can be made to infer the false belief that the blend of affection, fear, and desire, which they call being in love, is the only thing that makes a marriage happy or holy. The error is easy to produce because being in love does very often in Western Europe precede marriages, which are often, oh, which are made in obedience to the enemy's designs. That is with the intention of fidelity, fertility, and goodwill. Just as religious emotions very often, but always attends conversation, conversion. In other words, the humans are to be encouraged to regard as the basis for marriage a highly colored and distorted version of something that the enemy really promises as a result. Two advantages follow. In the first place, humans who have not the gift of continence can be deterred from seeking marriage as a solution because they do not find themselves in love. And, thanks to us, the idea of marrying with any other motive seems to them low and cynical. Yes, they think that. They regard their intention of loyalty to a partnership for mutual help, for the preservation of chastity, and for the transmission of life as something lower than a storm of emotions. Don't neglect to make your man think that the marriage service is very offensive. In the second place, the sexual infatuation, whatever, so long as it intends marriage, will be regarded as love and love, will be held to excuse a man from all the guilt and to protect him from the consequences of marrying a heathen, a fool, or a wanton. But more of this in my next, your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. Yeah, we read a book a while ago called Love is Not Enough. And like, there are so many couples that, yeah, they get together, they're in love, but they're not good for each other. Mm -hmm. It's just like this, like, the chemicals and whatever you know that feeling but it's that's not enough that's gonna get you into some finicky situations um it talked about in here it talked about how like when you have sex the body transcends and you do become one and we talked about that yeah. and it's true like, yeah, like when you have oxytocin especially for females when you sleep with somebody you're connected to them in in such a way that if it was a stranger on the street that said this to you or a friend of a friend that was like acting this way or whatever, girls would be like, hell no. Like outside looking in, what the fuck are you doing? But as soon as you sleep with a guy, all of a sudden it changes. Yeah. And the lens is a little bit different. Rose colored glasses. Well, it's not so bad. Well, at least he's nice to me. Like all these little like, yeah, yeah. You know, things that just like yeah. make that. But is he a good man? No, exactly. no, he's not. Yeah. What has he done? What has he done for you? Where is he at with his family? Where is he at with his business? Like all these different things that, Com well, contribute to the character that a man is. Yeah. Um, it's just ignored because of sex. And it ha it's happened to me yeah. <laughs> a hundred, well, not a hundred times. Yeah. But it definitely <laughs> happens. Uh, another way to take this one too in a slightly different direction is uh, lust. Like, uh, I know a lot of young Christians that get together so they can just fuck. Mm. Like, well, we don't want to live in sin. Yeah. And they get married and they for get sex. They, they literally get married for sex so they can... You know sex. what? I was told by a, one of... You know him. I'll tell you after. But basically, I was, like, living with this guy, and we had been together for, like, a year and a half or two years or something like that. And he was like, why don't you just come over to my house and sign a paper? 
And I was like, uh, because marriage means more to me than just signing a paper. What are you talking <laughs> about? He was like, no, you're living in sin. It's not acceptable. Da, 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 da. Oh, Thank I God I didn't get married to that guy. Like, holy shit. Yeah. What? And yeah, like I even know somebody who got married a couple years ago and it was like for sex. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I everybody know. thought he was a piece of shit. Everybody yeah. made sure that everybody other than him and her, I guess, knew that he was a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nobody wanted them to get married. Everybody wanted me to be the one to say not to get married. But at least they weren't going to be sinning. Yeah, at least it won't be sinning. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, I don't think that's the intention God wants for a marriage. Um, I have a thought. Yeah. So you and I kind of talked about this a while ago. Back in the day, they used to get married at 13, 14, 15. And I feel like that's definitely more in line with where we are as far as our body goes and like the hormones and all that. I don't think mentally anybody should get married and like sign a contract for life with somebody at 15, 16 kind of thing. But well, again, back, back in the, the day, day, marriage actually meant something where today yeah. we have marriages like, fuck, I, I've been divorced. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have been. I should still be married. Like back in the day, I still would have been married. And then like, maybe I just don't see her ever. And then I'm just like committing adultery and I just like leave her. But like, we're still married. Yeah. Like, you don't like biblically, you're still married. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, divorce has just become so easy where, like, yeah, okay, if you got married when you're 16 and to a person who your parents have vetted, who have str- has a strong family and stuff, like, yeah. the picture's always painted as, like, this evil, like, giving this little girl away to this fat, gross man, and he's, Meh! But it's like, no, no, the parents are supposed to be there vetting your husband, like. Yeah, and that's why, like, a guy wouldn't. A guy would have so much respect for you that he would, and they still do this in the Muslim cultures. Like this is only a Western thing that they don't do this. Like, yeah. but in the Muslim religion, the guy would never even approach the girl. He yeah. would approach the father and say, "Hey, I have interest in your daughter. What do you think?" Well, I think you're a piece of shit, or I think you're actually a good guy. So yeah. let's ask, let's ask her how she feels about it. Then she says yes or no or whatever, yeah. and then they can proceed. Yeah, there are still some things that like Western people do, like uh, you know, typically to get married. You'd ask the father. But man, even that, like, that might just be my 20-year-old mentality thinking, like, how how often does that really happen yeah. nowadays? Like, I, I didn't ask your parents. Well, I mean, I don't have any parents, so. Yeah. But, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Fuck them. Um, the enemy described a married couple as one flesh. He did not say a happily married couple or a couple who married because they were in love. But you can make humans ignore that. That's so, and this is why I think it's so important to know who you're getting married to. Yeah. We were watching the Whatever podcast a while ago, and this girl was wearing a cross. Oh, God. <laughs> and it was like, name is Candace Owens, and Candace Owens, like, lost it on her. She's like, well, why are you wearing a cross? Oh, it's cute. Well, that's that's a religious symbol about yeah. how my savior died for my sins. Well, it's cute. It's cute. And you'll go up in arms about cultural appropriation, but you're appropriating people's fucking religious iconography. And then she was talking. It was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll get married. I'll get married. And she was like, why? Like, you don't believe it. Like, marriage again is a biblical thing. Yeah. It's a Christian thing where Abrahamic at the Abrahamic, marriage. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. Where it's like a faith-based, religious, like, God-appointed kind of situation, ceremony. And so when people, I mean, it's all over. People get divorced in a year. They'll be together for 11 years, get married, and then divorce in a year. And, like, just crazy. And it's like, that it's, it's completely taking out the purpose of marriage. I... Yeah, it's... Which is, no matter what, I got this person with my back. I'm going to have a bad day. She knows that. 
she's yeah. going to have a bad day, but we still got each other's back. Jessica, that's the problem. Yeah, and she was basically just talking about how, like, Christian, or, like, anybody in these, like, just don't get married. Yeah. Just don't get married. Go live together, go whatever, yeah. but, like, marriage is a religious institution. So if you're not religious, if you don't care about yeah. God, if you don't care about any of that, don't do it. Yeah, it's weird non-religious people get married in churches. And, like, all pastors. Even, like, LGBT like, people like, I want to get married, blah, blah, blah. Why? Why? It's a it's a religious thing, and you're not. According to the God that yeah. did this, like, you don't believe what he wants you to believe or what he says or anything like yeah. that. So it's just like, why? Like, I could almost even make this argument. I'm not sure how valid it is. But, like, maybe me and you shouldn't have even got married. Because, like, the point of marriage is ultimately to start the nuclear family. You know you got your, your husband, your wife, who are going to have children together and raise them. Mm-hmm. Is that aspect necessary? I don't know. Like, I don't think everyone should have children. I don't. I don't think that's smart. But then again, from the Christian perspective, it's like be fruitful and multiply. It doesn't say some people should be fruitful and multiply. Like everyone should. Like the more life, the better. Well, and I think that society but. changes the health of people. Like people were a lot healthier long ago when they didn't have, you know, Instagram to compare to and sure. consumerism, like all that kind of stuff. Like Yeah, where you might like literally only know 50 people in the, yeah. the town you're in. You had a village. You had some all. people. Yeah, exactly. Like it was a, a lot different. I think too that if we if we got pregnant, I would want my kid to have the same last name as me and you. So that would be like if if I fa- if we weren't married <laughs> and then I found day. out. Oh, if we weren't married. Yeah, like if we <laughs> yeah, weren't yeah. married and then I found out, I would want to get married before the baby was born, so that we all had the same last name, we all had the family, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I was watching this thing and it said that people don't have kids for purely selfish reasons. And I didn't, we didn't talk about this, but maybe we should, well, let's talk about it now. Yeah. Um, but like, that's the driving factor of why people don't have kids. It's typically not money because you, there's never a right time. You're never, yeah, like, like, they you didn't know. have money back in the day. My grandma had 12 <laughs> kids and they were on a farm. Yeah, exactly. Were, like, no, no, no. Um, but what are your thoughts of that? Where like the reason that people don't have kids is purely selfish. And then is that a reason people shouldn't have kids? Like, is that like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, like, yeah, so, like, in a perfect world, you're like, I don't want kids because I'm selfish. And then you're like, okay, well, that's something I got to work on. And then you work on yourself, and then you have kids. Mm. But, like, I don't think everyone should have kids. I, I think only healthy people should have kids who have a stable, stable family. Because you're contributing to a wrecked society. Yeah. You are wrecked. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. That's an issue. Uh, well, all I know is I'm just glad I'm not a Christian because the whole be fruitful and multiply one would really get me because I have no fucking desire for children. The only thing that kind of, I don't know, not bums me out or worries me, but like definitely going to die alone. Like definitely like, the friends that I have, they're all going to have their own lives, grandkids, all that kind of stuff. Hopefully you die after me, but that's no guarantee. Like I, even my grandma, like she had siblings and um yeah, yeah grandkids kids aunts and uncles were still around and all oh, no not you no yeah. but she she was surrounded by so even as she was single her whole life well most of her life most of her adult life um she was still surrounded i think about that sometimes yeah yeah but i mean that was my family that was just like i don't have kids right now i'm not alone i don't know like think i think good people will have people around them regard like Mm, I think I, good people are often lonely. I think the 
the, mm-hmm. the good people are lonely. It's easier to be around. Like, that's why they say that, like, if, you, if you're around, if you have this, like, group of 30 friends and you're like, oh, there's my best friend, they don't even know you. <laughs> they don't even know you. But if you've got, like, one or two friends that actually know you and actually can support you and encourage you and yeah. keep you accountable and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, here's, I think, what we should take away. The last, one of the last chapters we read on the last episode, it talked about, like, let the problems of the future be the problems of the future. Do not worry about tomorrow, for yeah. tomorrow will worry about itself. Yeah, exactly. So we could fret and be like, well, what happens when we die and no one said, well, that's not a guarantee. Like, we're worried about something that, for all we know, we're going to die in a boat accident tomorrow together. Well, that, like, and, like, people die all the time alone, realistically. Like, yeah. people get hit in the car, or hit in a car accident or whatever, and then yeah. die on the street alone. Yeah. And surrounded by a bunch of strangers. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if you have family, you're not guaranteed to die around them. Yeah. So, let the problems of tomorrow be the problems of tomorrow. Yeah. But, um, I guess, yeah, don't have sex outside of marriage. And if you're married, like, does it ever, do you, like, Hmm. because that contract was made and... Okay, here's what I'll preface this with okay i was like in grade three or four or something like that yeah we were in chapel one day which was like every every wednesday or whatever we'd all have to go for like chapel during school and she was reading this book or story and she this this couple was getting married and then right before they were about to kiss and make it official or whatever um the pastor was like sally can you come up here and then sally came up there and hold held george's hand and then Amy, can you come up here? Amy went up there, held George's hand. And then like 15 other women had come. And basically he was like, um, before we, you know, wrap this up and tie the knot, are you prepared to marry this man with everything linked to him? And then she was like, what do you mean? What's happening? Well, this is everybody that's tied to him spiritually. This is everybody he's slept with, everybody he's made that commitment to, everybody that he's um, become one flesh with. Yeah. Um, So yeah, like, how you feel about that? She was like mortified. <laughs> and with that vision in mind, like, whoa. Hmm. Does that ever like I wasn't married to anybody, but do you feel like no like, feel like soul ties like, or something to her? No, no. Like, no. I think that kind of stuff can be uh damaging living in the past. Yeah, I have to focus too much on that kind of stuff. I don't know. <clears throat> it's weird, too, because I feel like you're your best self right now with me <laughs> uh, because we're right for each other. Yeah. We are each other's person. Yeah. This was meant to be in every lifetime. I yeah. think we would find each other in every scenario we were supposed to end up together. Like we've come in and out of each other's life so many times. And we should always- have realistically dated way before, but I was way too damaged for that. <laughs> and that's what intercepted that. Like, yeah. I guarantee, like. We would have dated 12 years ago. Yeah, I made a move on you and everything. Yeah. I, 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 I technically chose you before I chose my wife. Yeah. My ex-wife, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's, like, I think, I think here's the key with humanity. Just, life's fucking tough. No one's perfect. And as much as we like to talk about having all these high and lofty moral principles, we're all going to fail and fall. So and, do it with uh, the pizza. Don't do it with sex. Yeah. <laughs> no, and just like, you know, people make mistakes in the past and you could try, you can hold it against them, but the past is the past. There's nothing you can do about it. You got to just move forward. And, and No, move forward and change. 
change. And change. Like yeah, if yeah. you're a different person than you were ten years ago, good for you. If you're yeah. the same person that you were ten years ago, you gotta <laughs> move. Like yeah. move, you're not a tree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Cool. Um, okay, well that was chapters uh sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. Wow. Cool. Until next time. Adios, amigos.